Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. Next Sunday evening, we have a very special evening. I hope you're able to attend. Not only will it be Artie's last service with us, hopefully he'll be with us next year. He'll be preaching at all the services on Sunday, but he will have a a different sermon for Sunday evening because as well as it being our Sunday evening service, it is also the time when we're going to be graduating our IBIOL students. So it's a great night of commissioning, seeking God for what God's call is on our lives as well, as we see the uh, graduates getting ready to move to their next uh, stage in ministry. So that's what's going to be happening next Sunday evening. Okay, Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. He who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes, are like fi- his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written that no one knows but he himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses." The verse I want to focus on tonight is verse 13. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. This, of course, is a picture of Jesus Christ riding in glory at the second coming. And this picture is full of symbolism of who he is, his power, and his authority. We see that he's there riding on a horse, which is a a white horse, which is the symbol of victory and triumph. He has on his head many crowns, which are symbols of authority and lordship and uh, power. Uh, We see that he's clothed in a robe, and that robe is dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Imagine that. He is the Word of God, riding on a horse, but his clothes, his robes, have been in this picture taken and plunged into blood. They are absolutely soaked in blood. And so this picture of, his, of him riding with the armies of heaven in triumph is a picture of the word, but the word, if you like, has been dipped in blood, covered in blood. And it's this that I want to talk about this evening, the blood-dipped word, and what this symbol means to us in our lives and, and, and today. Now... The picture, two aspects. The Word of God dipped in blood. What is this a picture of? It's a picture of authority. And I want to look at the Word, but I also want to look at the importance of the picture of his cloak or himself being almost dipped in blood, dripping with blood. Why why is that a symbol for us today? You know, when we talk about authority structures... 
And over the last week, we have been looking at some tremendous seismic shifts, haven't we, in authority structures. Who rules and who rules whom and who has authority and where does that authority legitimately come from? And so in the last few days, we've been having votes to see the legitimacy of different types of authority. That's what this is all about. And if you study authority in the New Testament, you see that you have authorities on earth, don't you? But you also have principalities and powers and angels and thrones that are spiritual. But don't think that you've sort of got like spiritual powers and authority over here and physical manifestations of power politically, socially, what, uh, economically over here and that they sort of like interact occasionally. That's not how the New Testament uh, presents power and authority. What happens is, is the invisible powers and authorities and the visible powers of authorities, they are one. There is like an outer authority and an inner authority to every political uh, and economic power on earth. The outer authority is what we see. The governments, the different rulers, that's the outer. But there is also an inner authority and power that is invisible and spiritual. You usually notice that by when you say, well, what is driving this political organisation? We see the manifestations of the political organisation making this decision or that decision, this law or that law. That's one manifestation. But but what you really need to do is to go inside it and say, what is the ethos? What is the driving principles behind this political organisation that is driving it? And that's where you'll find the spiritual aspect of that organisation. In every political organisation and political movement, you will find there are two poles operating, two poles. There is the physical manifestation pole of what they're actually doing, but there is also the spiritual pole, which is the ethos and philosophy that is driving it. And so that's why many Christians, including our senior minister, were concerned spiritually that we should come out of the European Union, not come out of Europe, We're still as much part of Europe as we've ever been. Don't get the European Union mixed up with Europe. They're not one and the same thing. But his reason that he spoke to us was a spiritual reason, looking at what was driving, not the outer manifestation or the politics, but what was the ethos, the spirituality that was driving that organisation. That's where you'll find the interaction with spiritual powers. Uh, And you can see this in the symbols of politics and the symbols. uh, uh, For example, do do you know that the European Parliament in Brussels, its architecture uh, is is modelled on a famous picture, painting of the Tower of Babel? You see, you say, well, what does that mean? It means something because symbols are not just useless things. Symbols convey power, convey that spiritual what is behind what's going on. And we could go into that, but we're not going. I think we've had enough about it for a few days, don't we? But I make that aside to come back to these symbols 
that are being brought to us in the book of Revelation. That these pictures, the crowns and the blood and the robe and the horse and the name are all important because it conveys not only the outward power of God, the outward kingdom of God. And remember, God's kingdom is very different to the world's kingdom, isn't it? But not only the outward manifestation of the kingdom of God in Jesus, but also that inner drive and ethos of everything that the kingdom of God wants to promote. And the kingdom of God is driven by the desire to glorify God and bring dignity to humankind and salvation and deliverance and liberty. Remember Jesus' manifesto in Luke chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to give sight to those that are blind, to open the ears of the deaf, to uh, bring, bring healing to the brokenhearted, liberty to those that are in chains, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That is the inner drive of the kingdom, kingdom of God, the spirituality behind everything that God does and everything that, that we should do. Even churches have outward power structures. The question about whether it's a good church or not is not so much the meetings that they have or, or, or the building, but what is driving them? What are the principles? What is the spirituality? What is the inner pole of that manifestation? Well, we see in this picture of the word dipped in blood, the first thing is that Jesus here is called the word of God. Now, in John chapter 1, we hear about the word, and it speaks specifically about Jesus' authority and power over the whole created realm. Imagine that. Jesus Christ, the carpenter from Nazareth, is also the word made flesh and was the one that created everything that was created and if you've created everything, then you have dominion over the work of your own hands. John chapter, John, John chapter 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were created through him, and without him, nothing was created that was created. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Then if we move down to verse 16. I'm sorry, um... Not verse 16, verse 14, sorry. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. So back to that picture. We have the word riding in triumph. He's dipped in blood, but we have the word. His name is the word of God. And so Jesus' power and authority firstly stems from the fact that he is the creator. That with the Father and the Holy Spirit, everything that exists was brought into existence by his power and his authority. Meaning that he has 
total and utter sovereign right and authority and power to do whatever, whenever, however he likes to whomever in the whole of the universe. In other words, he's the potter. And guess what? We're the clay. Not just the humans, but the whole of the planet Earth and the whole of the universe. What powerful authority. Now, I was thinking a week or so ago, I can't remember the exact day, I was thinking about the referendum and thinking about such terms as the authority and power of Christ and, and different others' authorities, authorities that, that, that challenge Christ's authority on the earth today, false philosophies and false religions. And I was thinking, well, Jesus, all authority and power, you said, has been given to you on heaven and also in earth. Therefore, go and preach the gospel. So you are the word. You created everything. You have authority and power over everything. You cannot be defeated. And I'm thinking, well, let's hope that that more of your authority and power is manifest, that you actually exercise your authority and power in our lives, in our nation, in this world. And that's the question, that he exercises his total authority and power over the entire created realm. But then I stopped and I thought, well, wait a second, this is what brings us to the blood importance of his robe being dipped in blood. I thought to myself, But if there was no blood, we'll come to that in a minute. If there was no blood, then what would be the situation that faces planet Earth today? Well, if Jesus had all authority and power, which he does, but but never shed his blood, never died on the cross, then what could we expect from his hand in our lives and in our nations? And I realized that all that we could expect would be judgment, would be a great reckoning, and would be destruction. Remember that Jesus is also the judge, and one day when he returns, he's going to judge the world. And so if Jesus, as judge and as God, is totally and utterly perfect in holiness in all his ways, and then we look at this fallen planet Earth, where all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and gone their own way. Not one of us has not gone our own way. Then even though Jesus has got all authority and power, without any type of sacrifice, which I'm coming to, then the only thing that he could do as the judge of the world is to give a just and right verdict over our lives and our families, and our nations, and that could be none other than judgment. Do you hear what I'm saying? Even with all authority and power. So people that are calling on God, without the blood, without the cross, they can't expect to be heard. It is not the case that, that all religions lead to God. It is not the case that all prayers of religious people are heard by God. It is not the case that simply because you are created, that therefore you can call on the authority and power of Almighty God to your aid. It's not enough. And then when I thought about this picture, and I thought, well, there he is. He's got authority. 
He is power and he's the word. He's Lord over everything. Everything is under his power. Everything is under his authority. This brought me to the second section where we see the blood of Jesus. And when I began to meditate on the fact that he's both word, the creator, and also that he's clothed in blood, I suddenly began to see in a fresh way how much confidence we can have in Jesus and his kingdom of God, not just because he's the word, the Lord of all, as we've been singing, but also because he is the sacrificial lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. He didn't only create all, but he died for all. And this is where power, salvation, deliverance and change really start to come into play. Now you see the pictures of this right through the Old Testament, preparing us for the coming of Jesus. Remember, when Adam and Eve Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, and the whole of creation fell, how many of you know this world does not work as it should do? The lion does not lie down with the lamb. Bad things happen, not just to bad people, bad things happen to good people. Uh, This world is broken. It's a faint shadow of the picture of perfection that we get in Genesis when God looked at his creation and said, it's good. When God looks at creation right now, he doesn't say it's good. He, said, he says it's marred. It's broken. And whose fault is that? Humanity's fault. The Bible makes us clear that all the destructive forces and all the pain and suffering on the earth, if you don't blame God, look in a mirror. Humanity is to blame, according to the teaching of the Bible. This world is fallen. It won't always be fallen because God has began to redeem and he started with human beings. One day there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And when Adam and Eve fell and were judged, he could do none other but judge them. He's the Lord of creation. He judged them. But at the same time, he made provision for them. He clothed them. Do you remember, he took an animal and the first animal that ever died in history was, was killed at the hand of God. Blood was shed. Robes were made, priestly robes, and their sin was covered. Right through the Old Testament, we see the importance of blood as signifying sacrifice to cover and to deal with sins. Leviticus 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, For it is the blood that makes atonement by reason of the life. In other words, God has said, you've sinned and we need atonement. The word atonement, best understood, at one month. We were together, but now God's relationship with humanity has been broken and marred by sin with impending judgment. But God says, I've made a way and the way is blood. And that blood can bring us back together. Hebrews chapter 9, 22 also reflects on the Old Testament and its importance to the New Testament. Hebrews 9, 22. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Blood. Blood is important. It represents the life of an individual. And when we talk about blood, the value of the blood signifies the value of the individual that carries it. 
What do I mean by that? Well, let's talk about the blood of animals. I think you would understand when we talk about the blood being life that the, the blood of a chicken is of less value than the blood of a human being. Otherwise, you, you would never eat chicken again in your life, would you? But you eat chicken, you allow a chicken to shed its blood. Why? Because you believe, whether you've thought it through or not, that that chicken's death was, was worth it. Sometimes I've joked with vegetarian friends of mine, they it's not gone down very well. When I've had a piece of meat on my thing and they're looking and they're not happy. And I'm saying, see that steak? They say, yes, it's terrible. I said, no, that cow didn't die in vain. <laughs> it's an honour for that cow to die and to be eaten by me. And you can see that didn't go very well. But what I'm trying to say is that, is that you know, we, the blood of an animal represents the worth of an animal. So to shed a chicken, it, people don't think about. And in the Old Testament, animals were used, weren't they, on the altar. And that was a limited picture of what was to come when Jesus was going to shed his blood. That's why uh, it, it says in Hebrews 10.3, Indeed, those sacrifices, the Old Testament are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls or goats to take away sins. The life of a bull is not worth the life of a human. Now, this is where the Christian message is so important on human beings, every single human being being the image of God. God created the world and everything in it, but when he came to create humans, they were special. He said, we will make them in our image. So the blood of an animal is not equal to a blood of a human being. And although animals' blood was shed in the Old Testament for atonement, it was only a picture, a preparation for something greater, when a greater blood of greater value and greater worth was going to be shed. And then we have the blood of human beings. Precious is the blood of human beings because every human life is precious. And important, every human life, the dignity of every human life, from the moment of conception right through to the, to the el most elderly person and frail person in, in, in the world today, those lives are of equal value, equal worth. You see? Because made in the image of God. And you think about the blood of a human being. God often speaks about the fact that when, when the innocent have been slaughtered, when the poor have been, have been murdered, God takes more note of that than any dying of an animal. Why? Because of the worth of these individuals to God made in his image. Think about the blood of Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. Do you remember the first murder? When, when, uh, when Abel brought a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. Why? Because there was blood in it. And Cain bought stuff from the field and it wasn't accepted. And Cain slew Abel and his blood was spilt on the ground. And his blood spoke. That blood that was shed had an effect on God in heaven. Caused him to change. He said that Abel's blood speaks vengeance to me. So the blood of human beings is very important. It represents their worth. It represents their life. Well, Hebrews 12, 24 says this. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the spirit-sprinkled blood that speaks better things than Abel. 
You see, Jesus died. And the death of Jesus, I mean, if Jesus is the word, remember on that horse, dipped in blood, his name was the word, the word became flesh, fully God. Now, in, in, in human form, fully human, now we have the Word who created the universe. In, the cha- in John's chapter 1, it starts with the Word creating the universe, and then suddenly the Word's got flesh. The Word's got blood. What sort of value would you put on the blood of the incarnate Word? I mean, you're talking about an individual... You know what I'm saying? You're talking about the word of God that created the whole universe and upholds all things by his mighty power. That's what it says in Hebrews 1. And he's now human and blood is rushing through his veins. Fully God, fully human. How much value would you put on that individual? And how much value does his blood represent? If the blood of animals can be used to cover sin for a while but not deal with it. If the blood of of one like Abel can cry out to God. If the blood of innocent, literally the blood too, this isn't figuratively, that bloodshed can cry out to God and have such a tremendous impact on him in heaven. Well, what do you think about the blood of Jesus when that was shed? And uh, I, I, I was thinking, meditating on a passage about the power of the blood of Jesus to change God's dealing with the world from wrath and just judgment to mercy and grace and salvation. You know, in Luke's gospel, when Jesus was crucified, the first thing he said as he had been crucified, it says, when they came to the place called the skull, There they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. And I just thought about this picture, can you see it now? There's Jesus, he's been whipped and flogged, and now he's brought to the cross, and then his hands are nailed to the cross, His feet are nailed to the cross and he's lifted up on this cross and what starts to happen immediately? Blood starts pouring. Blood starts dripping from his hands and his feet and his side. Blood starts to drip on the floor. What if Abel's blood, slain by Cain, spoke to God? If animal's blood in the Old Testament as a type spoke to God... Because I tell you what, if, those, if the priests went on strike in the Old Testament and didn't sacrifice animals, the whole thing would seize up and there'd be no mercy at all, no day of atonement. So if the blood of animals was speaking to God, if the blood of a lamb killed on Passover night, blood put on the doorposts, and the angel of God came, saw the blood, passed over, the blood of a lamb, an animal spoke to God, What do you think that blood, as it hit the soil, was speaking to the Father? Well, it was the first thing that Jesus said. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they are doing. Now, without the blood, Jesus couldn't pray that prayer. Why? Because they didn't deserve forgiveness. 
and no one had paid the price for their forgiveness, but there he was, his blood was being shed so that he could use his power and authority to bless people instead of judge them. The blood of Jesus. This is what Jesus said whenever you take communion in your cell groups, in, in services. What did Jesus say? He said, this is my blood of the new covenant. You see, that covenant would not have been, any, would have not have been powerful or empowered or ratified without the blood. We talk about manifestations of power having legitimacy. This was the big question over the EU. Did it really have legitimate power over Great Britain when so much of it was unelected? This was one of the debates. Was it a legitimate power or form of power? Well, Jesus, in order to legitimise his forgiveness, his deliverance, his healing his intervention by grace on people's behalf in order to legitimise, empower and allow his authority to be used for salvation instead of damnation, he had to shed his blood. And the blood of Jesus is the most powerful covenant-strengthening thing that you can think of. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Let, Let me read... I'm not going to go on long, but let me, let me read just a few scriptures from the New Testament. Do you know the blood of Jesus, the, 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 the death, the, the cross of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, sorry, is mentioned three times more than the cross of Jesus in the New Testament. The blood, three times more than the cross, five times more than the death of Jesus. The blood, the blood. Ephesians 7.1, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our sins. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, sorry, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Somebody had to deal with justice. Somebody had to deal with the judgment. And the only person that could extinguish God's righteous judgment against a fallen world was God himself. This is why God so loved the world that he sent his son, not to judge the world, but to save the world by paying the price that we should have paid. The blood of Jesus is our hope. The blood of Jesus is our plea before the kingdom of God and before the throne of God. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. The blood was already pleading. When you give your life to Jesus, is because you believe that he died for you. That his blood was shed for you. That you don't now have to take the judgment that you deserve because Jesus took it on the cross in your place. And all you have to do is believe that and immediately that blood speaks better things over your life. And so when we go to the Father on behalf of a nation, we go to a Father on behalf of a situation, why should God answer your prayers? Why should he answer your prayers? Why should he hear your prayers? 
The reason that he hears your prayers is the blood of Jesus. And so this picture of the word dipped in blood, this is my blood of the new covenant. All the promises of God, the good promises of God, can only come to you through the blood. Forgiveness only comes to you through the blood, the sacrifice. The blood of Jesus is the most powerful commodity in the universe today. It is infinitely powerful because it is infinitely valuable because it was Jesus' blood that was shed 2,000 years ago. I end on this. Revelations 12, 11 says, how do we as Christians overcome? We overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's the same thing. The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. You, before you're anything else in life on earth, life in earth, whatever your career, whatever your calling, if you're a Christian here today or watching on the internet, you before anything, you're a priest. You're a priest. We are a royal priesthood. That means royal. We have authority and power in Jesus' name. And we are priesthood. What does that mean? It means that we can change the world we live in through priestly intercession. In the Old Testament, the priest would take the blood They would bring it to the altar on behalf of those that needed grace and mercy. And God would see the blood and instead of judgment, he would give grace and mercy. When we go into our prayer for the nation, for our neighbours, for the world, we have to understand that you're a praying priest. You're not going in with the blood of animals. You're going in to the Father's throne with the blood of Jesus that was shed 2,000 years once and powerful today as it was then. You're going to the Father's throne and you're saying, I'm praying for Great Britain today. I'm praying for Europe today. I'm praying for my family today. I'm praying for this circumstance today. I'm praying, Lord, that you'll touch somebody's life. And I'm not coming with the power of my own vocal prayers, the power of my own righteousness, the power of religiosity, but I am coming with one plea. For the sake of the blood of Jesus, visit mercifully and intervene. God cannot resist the power of his own son when it's presented to him in petition. One of my many prayers is, Father, when you look at London, look at it through blood-tinted lenses. Don't look at us without the blood of Jesus because that would only bring judgment. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and God has given people over. But Lord, don't give us over anymore. When God judges, he simply takes his hands off. Three times in Romans chapter 1, it says God gave us over to our sins. What did he do? Did he send lightning? No. Did he send a tsunami? No. Did he send a plague? No. What did he do? He simply stood back and said, you don't want me? I'll leave you alone to your own sin and to the devil's work. And Britain and Europe have been given over for decades and generations by and large because it's said, we don't want God. We don't need God. And God has said, then your judgment is that you shall not have God. But there's a new upsurge of born-again priests that are going to the Father on behalf of the city and the nation and the world and saying, Father, we're standing in the gap. 
We're coming to you not in our own name or our church's name, but we're coming to you by the blood of Jesus. And that blood speaks. And we ask you, Lord, to visit us by the power of your Holy Spirit because of the blood of Jesus. Do you have any idea what the blood does to the Father? I have an only son, an only son. Like God is an only son. I wouldn't, I wouldn't send him to die for any of you. Sorry, I don't love you enough. I wouldn't trade my son for all of you or any of you. But if you brought to me the blood of my own son and said your son has been slain, can you imagine the type of emotional response I would have to seeing the blood of my own son? Now imagine when God sees that blood which is in heaven eternally and you say, God, don't judge us, but send your grace and mercy. Why should I do that? Look, not at us, but look at the blood. As God sees the blood, the blood speaks and the blood acts. Let's bow our heads in prayer. The only plea you have before the Father is the blood, the cross, the death of Jesus, the blood shed that things better better things for you. But because of the blood, you can have confidence that Christ's authority is ready to be used in power, mercy, and grace. If he was just the word on a horse, we'd be lost and judged. But because he is dipped in blood, that his word is drenched and soaked in the blood of his love and his sacrifice. It means that his authority, when we call on him and believe in his blood, his authority will come through and it will begin to bring mercy and healing and grace and, 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 and forgiveness. All these things because of the blood. Now, we have a God who's not only in charge of the whole universe, but he's died for the whole universe and he can release his authority for the benefit of the universe. That's what the blood does. It turns the authority of God to our benefit. If you're here tonight and you've never really understood that in order to go to heaven and be accepted by God, you need to plead the blood. In other words, you need to believe that Jesus died for you. Because if you reject the blood, you're going to get God's authority sooner or later without mercy. If you reject the blood... If you say, no sacrifice for me, thank you very much, then there will be no sacrifice for you. But if you say, no, I want that sacrifice for me, I want that sacrifice for me, then God will treat you not according to your sins, but according to Jesus' blood.